to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. Uh, as we get another episode into 2023, uh, we're back with a guest that we've had on before, uh, talking about his success since that last time even, and all the cool things that he's been doing and got going on. Um, but first, let me uh, kick over to Kai. What's up, man? How you been? Hey, man. How's it going? <laughs> I'm just... Uh... I'm swamped. I just got up not too long ago. Been uh, doing yeah. with grasshopper stuff all morning and uh, new lizards. Got in some some new some new varietas coli. Um, yeah, man, I was actually pretty stoked all night. So I kind of just stayed up and just talking to Chris about his <laughs> his uh, his brand new croc monitors that he hatched. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So congrats to that. Um, Great, great news for the monitor world. Yeah, uh, it's kind of crazy. This year would be, or within the last, within the last several months, um, quite a or not many people have hatched out croc monitors, which is, which is great for the community itself. You know, um, yeah, I think I think seeing that it should be really, really like uplifting for just those hard. I don't know those hard projects. You know what I mean? The really big hard projects that so many people would dream about doing. So yeah, man, congrats to, to Chris, Chris Foley, who we've had on here a couple of times, um, most recently anyways. Um, yeah, man, that's, that's really it. Just, uh, getting back into gear with the monitors. I'm going to start actually have a gravid female, coli right now nice um but i don't think that the end any of that was from pairing or locking she just ovulated the other day where her body got really really tight and a balloon like she was like that for like two days and now her appetite is crazy so i'm thinking that uh she's gonna be laying here within the next two to three weeks give or take um other than that yeah, man, I gotta. I'm really just getting back into the swing of things with all the monitors, and now that there's a new season kicking in, I'm preparing for all of that. Um, everybody kind of went through a, a winter here. Um, yeah, still kind of warm. Nothing really, really cooled down. Only could because I, they're kind of breeding still, you know. Yeah. Um, so I just let them do their thing. Um, but for the most part, yeah, man, it's pretty much it. Just uh, getting getting things back into gear. Uh, man, Cody, welcome back, man. What up? <laughs> yeah. So, um, Cody Cop for for our listeners, uh, if you've listened to the first episode, you know we've had you on before, Cody, and uh, mm-hmm. since then, man, there's been quite a few uh, developments with your your uh, your growing zoo over there. If I'm yeah, not mistaken, quite a bit, man. <laughs> Quite yeah, a, bit. a lot has changed. Uh, a lot of perspective has been gained. Uh, yeah. I thought I had it pretty well dialed in what was going on, and like I don't know, I I've gotten really into like the note taking behind everything and like trying to recognize patterns and everything. And so like I'll document everything start to finish, plug it into a calendar, and try to compare it to previous like breeding, for example, like sessions. And see oh, um, just what has changed. If I can dial in like number of days between each event and and all that, and it's it's been going pretty good. And uh, and yeah, I've I've hatched 
in, I don't know, two and a half years, I've hatched 23 green tree monitors from one pair. Nice. That's, so. that's a lot, man. That's a great. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very consistent um, compared to, you know, just some other people that get it once or twice or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's really, yeah. really good. Yeah, man. Yeah, How's that? I've uh, been carrying on with all the other species. It's not as it hasn't been proved as simple as all the other species that you have, right? Not just yet, right? So, what I will say is the difference is I have, like the, I last time we talked, I had a female black tree who passed. Um, she was probably over ten years old. She had a bunch of health issues anyway, so I wasn't really expecting to get anything breeding wise with her. Um, we picked up one last year from Blake Wilson, who was maybe a little over a year old when we picked her up. Um, and so I had to, you know, raise her and get her to like an appropriate size. Um, and so I, it took me a long time to be able to actually like try my methods with other species. Yeah. Um, what I can say now is, so I bought a pair of yellow tree monitors off somebody local actually which was incredibly nice <laughs> not having to ship them yeah um, a, a guy that works at the zoo here and so that was that was really nice knowing they were in good hands previously um the male is pretty obese um yeah. he he definitely tries to steal food from the female so i can see how it happened um so to give you a kind of a rundown of the last six months um grew up the the female black tree. Um, one of uh, one of my friends has a pair of cordensis that, uh, you know, she was just really busy and expressed to me that she was worried about not having time for them. She was going to be traveling. I was like, hey, send them to me. I'll house them for a bit for you, um, and we'll see if I can get eggs. Uh, I had them for two months, and she started to cycle. Nice. So, um, two weeks after that, uh, which was about the two-month point of having the yellow trees, she started to cycle also. And, <laughs> and so I got seven eggs out of a cordensis, all nice. duds, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so not very nice, but still proof of method, at least, proof of concept. Yeah. Um, so I got seven eggs out of the cordensis. The male, for whatever reason, just had no interest in, in mating, locking. Um, so I could see her going through the stages of the cycle, like swelling and everything. And he just never took interest. I hate those males. (laughs) Yeah. I've through talking to some people kind of, I, I gathered the, the method that you would take in that situation is keep them separate and only introduce one locking or when, when ready to, because then likely he would have more interest because he's not been with her for two years. Right. Yeah. Um, but I got Some seven eggs out of her. What's that guy? Some are really tricky that way. It's like, yeah. It's like all, it's you got to cater to the males. Yeah. It's weird. Um, <laughs> but but then, uh, so she laid, and then a couple weeks later, the yellow tree laid. She laid four eggs. Male tried for like a day. She laid four, five duds also. Um, <laughs> that was her first clutch ever. Um the previous guy had her for three or four years and never got eggs out of her. They were together the whole time. Um, I'm chalking that one up to the male's like morbid obesity. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause he, he's just like, he's 
balloon shaped. He's like a football, and so I've spent the last six months trying to burn some weight off of him. Um, I sent you guys that video of them locked up today, and yeah, you could see how big he is, and he has lost a considerable amount of weight. Yeah, so he's uh, he's getting there, and now he's a lot more active and a lot more interested, and will try for much longer during the day. So it tells me that cutting weight off of him helped. Um, but so six, uh, seven from the Cordensis, four or five from her, I don't remember which. And then the uh, the black tree, two weeks after that, two, three weeks after that, I uh, started to notice her hang really weird. So I was like, mm-hmm. you know, she's she's doing that like typical wall hang uh, where her stomach's pushed out a little bit, but she, her whole front half's like up the wall. And I'm like, you know, this looks like like vitiligenesis swelling yeah i'm just gonna take the precaution and call my vet and see if he can come to an ultrasound uh because we're lucky in omaha and have matt Merquan as a vet who will do house calls nice and uh he came over brought his ultrasound uh equipment and sure enough she had two uh follicles that he described as the biggest follicle to body size he's ever seen and I was like that would make sense because I think she's in vitiligenesis today <laughs> so um, and and this was all through the process of like or all throughout this process I'm, I'm recording dates comparing them to my greens seeing if everything lines up and then uh, this is about the point where I went okay she's going through vitiligenesis today I think they're going to lock in 10 days yeah 10 days on the dot, she was locked with the mail because I put them in. Uh, Is this like on in. a spreadsheet? Because um, you could send it Not over. quite yet, but I could be. <laughs> I, I, it could be. Um, but, but essentially, like, I noticed that. I called the vet. He came and ultrasounded. Um, I put the mail in next day. And then, like I expected, 10 days on the dot. It's, I've always found it's 10 to 12 days after that swell. Um, yeah that they that they're receptive uh sometimes sooner which can throw stuff off but typically the the good locks it seems occur 10 to 12 um and then 30 days later uh she laid two duds let her eat them um because she already had one in her mouth so i'm like screw it whatever her first cycle ever um but but yeah and then same month my greens light also so I got eggs out of four species in 45, 50 days. Nice. Wow. Very nice. That's amazing, actually. Uh, great stuff. And, you know, <clears throat> I got these blues that I haven't been able to All do right. anything with. But uh, um, I'm going to take another crack at it. So I'll probably yeah, be talking with you a little more outside of the podcast. But, um, you know, maybe we can get into some things today. Oh, but, yeah. Um, so, been a very good year for tree monitors, or I would say very yeah. good uh, past season for tree monitors so far. A lot of learning. I mean, obviously, I still have only gotten the good eggs out of the greens, but yeah. like I said, it's it's proof of concept. At least I know how to get animals to cycle. Like I said, the yellows came from a guy that had, I think they're f- between four and a half and five years old at this point. They've been housed together for years. She's never cycled. I was able to do it within a couple months. So that, that at least confirms to me that I'm doing something right, even if I'm not getting good eggs yet. That's just, yeah. you know, the next piece of the puzzle that I got to work on. 
Good stuff. Um, yeah. Anything um, else you're keeping outside of tree monitors? Uh, a lot of green tree pythons now. My roommate and I are really into green tree pythons, and uh, we have a couple emerald tree boas, and, and then he has some stuff in his own collection, but we have, I don't know, like 10 green tree pythons now. And, and that's... I have 10 tree monitors and then four hatchlings that haven't been shipped out yet so i have 14 tree monitors and then we have a bunch of snakes in the basement yeah and uh and we're working on that um we hatched a single green tree python last year (laughs) (laughs) Uh, hey it was that's uh, awesome it it was the first time we've ever incubated snake eggs ever Mm -hmm. and uh i didn't recognize that the texture of them just yelled hey we're dehydrated (laughs) so uh, i just put them in the sim container and it wasn't enough to bounce them back to life i should have put them on moss or something to really rehydrate them but um so they all we we got 14 eggs 16 eggs something like that and all but one failed but the one that uh the one that survived ate five times before its first shed nice yeah, so, that's a lot. That's a lot of meals before it's first shed. Yeah, which is very good for a green tree python too. A lot of a lot of the breeders say if you can get them to eat before their first shed, they'll be like an absolute powerhouse. But yeah. most will not be interested in food until it sheds. So, it sucked yeah. the that's souls cool out know. of its sibling. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right? Oh my god! <laughs> and, and it like morbid ish, but I'm like, man. Like, we cut all the other ones open and checked through them, and, like, yeah. they were mostly developed, and they had, like, the color to them. And yeah. we're like, you know, of all the ones that could survive, we're glad it's this one, because it was the only one with a full dorsal stripe. Very cool. So, yeah. Lucky. Very, very cool, man. Um, I always, you know, I always had a, uh, in my monitor, or, or I would say reptile mansion in, that I have in my head. That mm-hmm. I think we all have it one day, you know. Oh, definitely yeah. tree monitors. It seems like for the monitor people, tree monitors and green tree pythons just somehow go together. I know they're they're can be in the same area, of course. Yeah. But um, I don't know if it's just the design of the cage, the habitat, or whatnot, or if it's just when you like kind of arboreal stuff. It's like, oh well, mm-hmm. made it simple. That's what I want. You know, colorful Dude, I, arboreal stuff. That that's exactly it for me. Is I mean, they check every box for me, tree monitors specifically. Uh, I will say, like, as much as I like the green tree pythons, it would take a dozen of them to give me the same entertainment that one tree monitor does. (laughs) So that's why they're, like, they're absolutely, like, more of Alex's project, who's my roommate. Um, Snakes snakes are time and time again, man. I always want them, and then I'm like, dude, you're Yeah, and then you get bored, like, within a month, right? So boring. Um, but like I don't know, it's really nice. So last time I talked to you guys on here, um, there was two, five of us in this house. Um, my girlfriend and I were in the basement. We just had a couple monitor cages. We had the torch monitor still at the time. Yeah. Sold that guy. Um, and then we just had some green tree pythons, like a couple of them. And then since then, we had two people move out. My roommate took over the basement. We came upstairs. We got a full room dedicated to monitors. We converted our whole living room to enclosures for the pairs. 
and uh, I'm working on I'm in the midst of building four enclosures right now. Very that's, nice, that's, man. So yeah, great, to, but, great to hone in on one thing instead of having a bunch of little mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Are you, are you it, writing off your uh, your rent and utilities yet for the business? <laughs> oh no, I should be, man. Yeah, Absolutely. man. Uh, it's to the point where you're making uh making quite a bit of money, man. So you want to get uh want to get yeah, on it, to all with uh especially because you're doing shows and stuff like that too, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and, I, and I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to do it smart because like I only work part time at my full or at, at my actual day job. I work like thirty yeah. hours a week. You I got should, health issues. It's hard for me to maintain a job. Yeah, but uh, it sounded I, like even, you were going to say I work part time at my full time job for the, a quick the, second. At, <laughs> at my, yeah, at my day job. Yeah, uh, at yeah, my primary job is what I was trying to say. But uh, but yeah, I got some health issues. It makes it really hard for me to hold down like an actual full time job. So I found a a good gig that's part time that pays well, and and uh, and then I try to. Uh, be very smart with any funds that I may come into from the the reptile stuff, and I am finally to the point where you know monitors pay for monitors. I, I guess I can say, and yeah, so, yeah, like I, yeah, I'm I'm not you know paying rent, selling tree monitors. I'm reinvesting it, building more enclosures. I bought that pair of blue trees. You know, man, and that ago. I think that part of thinking um, for new new keepers. That sometimes get gets lost, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. That's um, why I wanted to talk about it too. You know, just to be self sufficient in, in in almost everything that you do or what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. You can barter for something that you, you obviously you know can't just easily buy or or what someone else has. You don't want to spend your money on, so you know then it becomes a trade or you're kind of breaking even things like that. You know, um, mm-hmm. it'd be great to make a profit. But if you aim to just be self-sufficient, break even, kind of things like that, um, that Dude, I am perfectly happy breaking even. Longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, people, other people are listening. You know? I know, right? Yeah. Um, it'll carry like, you so much longer, you know. Yeah, but like I don't know. I I feel like it's it's overlooked a lot, like you said, especially with new new keepers and like there's the whole era of like, hey, you shouldn't be in this for money. Uh, sure like do it because you actually like the animals but you also like when you're getting to the point of having as many animals as we have you have to be business conscious about your decisions right yeah you can't just like spending crazy and not having things add up and right yeah and like like with this clutch of tree monitors that just hatched i built four enclosures bought a pair of blues and then i bought six months worth of food for my animals um adam slayton i know you use him right kai yeah, I, I have, I have, a, I have a couple times. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, it, ooh, his prices are great, right? Oh yeah. But oh, shipping, do you have somebody local? Yeah, shipping yeah. across the nation is really tough. So fair. No, totally fair. I use him a lot thing. though, and so I, I bought like I don't know, like three hundred and fifty or four hundred day old quail off him yeah. last week, and. And, and I'm not so sure that, if FedEx prices have gone down because I know things were going just skyrocketing on everything, right? Especially tra- like transporting, freight, all that mm-hmm. stuff like that really went. Yeah, up. I think the shipping on that for me was like sixty bucks or something. Yeah, so it was still up there, but it's still cheaper than like Rodent Pro quail. Right, right. 
And I, I was uh, so I go to this Asian market, and I literally just buy the 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 fertile quail eggs, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, Bully. Asian people, Asian <laughs> people the loot, and so yeah. You know, it's kind of like it's already there available for me fresh. Um, right. But the price, though, the price is basic with the cost of eggs nowadays has gone up. It's yeah. basically the same. I'm paying. Right. I'm paying just about the same for roughly the same amount of stuff. And even if I'm not getting them shipped, I'm also paying kind of high. If I I knew I know a couple breeders that are local, but they just can't keep up. You know, they've probably got like a few dozen or something like that. Right. But I want hundred you know so i do um, that same thing with the asian market though we we have one in omaha and yeah there and they they sell 18 packs of quail instead of dozens yeah. and but are they uh, fertile though or are they just the they nothing? have fertile and the unfertile, unfertile ones and yeah. i'll get both yeah yeah it's nice it's nice to have as a resource for sure right right the asian market but, man it's like a hidden uh a hidden gem for a lot of monitor keepers. I, I mean, I've been practicing and going there ever since I was really young, keeping monitors as well. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, people are so used to just like, you know, pinkies and I'm oh, sorry, mice and chicks and then crickets and worms and roaches. But man, if you go to the Asian market and if your animals are able to eat all these other things, you kind of can stockpile on, you know, like smelt fish, or silver oh, yeah. sides, um, you know they sell like crawfish the shrimp and everything there too. Right? Is super cheap shrimp by the pound. You know if they'll eat shrimp, yeah. A lot of monitors do eat shrimp. Not all of them, but a fair amount of them do. You know it's just a it's just a water bug. It's basically right. what shrimp are. Literally. Yeah, and so um, those. I, I, speaking of that, I also have to go buy some more as well. But yeah, <laughs> nice. man, and you can spend ten bucks. You can spend ten bucks, and you buy yourself a a, a bag. And you get like, you know, 30, 40 pieces or more, depending on what kind of deal they have. And yeah, man, it's, it's great. It's a great way to, to, to put some money back in your pocket a little bit. You know, picture you spending and buying that volume in, in mice or chicks alone. It's going to be a lot more, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've gotten very into um, over the last two years, really. Um, but especially the last year, uh, producing as much of our own food as we can. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I'm still doing the grasshoppers, and I, I those are going like mad anymore. Um, I was telling you earlier, Alan, about yeah. how I fixed all of my issues with it. Um, long story short, my tap water was killing all of my bugs. <laughs> so, and, and I mentioned that to somebody that works at the zoo here, and they go, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." And I'm like. <laughs> like this is a common it's, thing. Is that yeah, like it, yeah. it's common. Okay, um, <laughs> but yes, that's how, that's how you know everything that we do, like that we need as like a like a natural resource. It's just kind of shit. Just, yeah, you know, like all our foods got so much pesticides because it's basically killing all the grasshoppers immediately. You right, know, literally. You ever feed your bugs and they end up keeling over or just rolling on their side and twitching in, in the hundreds of them? And, yeah, they mm-hmm. basically ate some pesticides. And then your water. Uh, I'm not going to lie. A lot of places out where you are have, have pretty have pretty tough water, you know. Not yeah, quite- and, and ours is particularly bad. Like, so specifically I, I live in Gretna, um, mm-hmm. which is like kind of a – you can almost say a suburb of Omaha at this point. Um and they every year send us like a like a water treatment test that they do, and this 
this year and last year they were like basically to the point of like hey maybe you should start buying bottles of water like it's it's yeah. really bad yeah. and so like uh for but all you're of our animals with now, a bottle of water right <laughs> yeah exactly but so all of our animals like the even the cats and dogs we give them water um out of bottles or ro because like we don't want to risk it with them so so yeah. everything gets ro at this point and it's solved a lot of issues but um but yeah so we do those um i kind of keep up with the dubia i'm really bad with the dubia um but then uh, alex also started breeding uh he started breeding mice and rats and that's really nice to have in-house and not have to get shipped yeah You ever do like a uh, lateralis or uh, lobster roaches or any of those? I have uh, not. I'm just ugh. bad with them in the sense that like I forget they exist unless I need to grab some for food. So uh, they all just end up dying. They're lo- <laughs> I mean, man, what's crazy is that you can take care of those things once or twice a week and they're good, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, we're lobster looking at like are a dream. Uh, well, right. Yeah. In some regards. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, you don't get me wrong. Like what sucks is that. See, I'm. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I've, I've used plenty and plenty of roaches, and there's years before I got into grasshoppers that I was using a ton of roaches, and that was my main diet. But if you're obviously not careful, then you can end up with lobster roaches all over your colonies or all over your yep. cages. You can end up with lateralis in your house because they they can basically become somewhat domesticated if they can get to a, like a let's say your 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 kitchen. You know, it's got a few warm spots like that generate heat, and that's really all they need. They can literally right. live off of heat in the back of a cage, and they have a food source or some type of water source, and that's really all right. they need to uh, just get out I, of your house. So, I, I'm going to run with the excuse that I'm forgetful with Duvia because they mess with my allergies. So, bad. oh yeah, that's dude, the excuse I'm going to use. Dude, that's like, exactly why I don't do Dubias anymore. It's anytime just I open that food. tub. Every time I open that tub, I get itchy. My yeah. hand, my fingers start turning red, and then yeah. like I, it's like cat allergies, like sneezing, yeah. eyes watering. Dude, it's so bad. And it's a oh, low key, low key serial silent killer. If you're, uh-huh. if you don't, if you don't really know, because it essentially it'll obviously it's giving you al- al- allergic reactions, right? But man, if you're just breathing that stuff in and you don't even know. Yeah, you, you, you right, can't dude. The crickets do that same thing to me too. Um, only thing that doesn't do that to me is grasshoppers. Yeah, grasshoppers same. and like for bugs anyway. That's why I um, do that. <laughs> right, dude. That's I'm why. allergic to so much stuff too. Like, I I walk outside in the spring and just instantly like, I I need a roll of paper towels with me to <laughs> like. Gosh, <laughs> yeah. I'm fortunate bad. where I don't I don't get that, but the the crossover from the lobster roaches into the other colonies is nonstop. So uh-huh. I got to do some, I, I don't even know where they come from. I, I try some different things, but um, you know, with everything coming to the house pretty soon, uh, I got to take some very big precautions for some of that Dude, stuff. You, you want to hear a bad one. I'm going to call out one of my friends that lives here with this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so speaking of roaches, this dude keeps red runners. Right? Oh yeah. Oh, this lot around it, right? Oh, I don't know. I maybe, uh, but it's it's way worse than that. Yeah. He keeps a, them in a tub with an open top <laughs> with a heat lamp dangled over it, and he has a cat 
that no. have access to them, and they're in an open area. And I'm like, dude, wow. that is one tip over away from you moving. Yes. <laughs> like, and oh my god, and he freaks me out with it so bad. And he'd like send me videos of him like just reaching in and throwing some into his cage. And I'm like, you drop one of those, you are so screwed. <laughs> like, there, we have our our local ones, right? They're basically red yeah. runners, some variation. Mm-hmm. And in the yeah. s- late spring, in the summer, of course, they're in the warehouse. It's right where they want to be. And it's funny the um, most of the the monitors I can toss roaches to, and they don't even think about it. And uh, when one of those, for whatever reason, will I'll open the door. It'll be like up in the door frame or something. And it'll dart into the cage, and they'll go after it real quick. And they know. And, and they, they don't stop. seem to care for them. Yeah, they just yeah, like uh, wow. they're like, "Oop, that's one of those." And it's the weirdest <laughs> that it's bites the weirdest them on the way down. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's spicy. <laughs> pretty, yeah, pretty interesting. So I don't know what that hangup is. Disgusting, dude. Yeah, yeah. Just, I just like it's weird, right? Like we feed roaches and we feed the weirdest bugs and the weirdest things, but. Ill household roaches. That's gross, right, dude? Oh my god, it's so funny the the contrast there. Like came no. out, came out of a tub, totally fine. Came off my yeah. wall, disgusting. So, I mean, I got to take that into account when things move here pretty soon. Um, how am I going to keep the local roaches from? Because I I don't want to spray at that point. Oh, I got right. some thinking to do. I'm going to get some Tokay geckos and just stick them to the walls. Oh, dude. <laughs> We've joked so many times about just buying some, like, day geckos or something and just tossing them at the walls and just, yeah. all right, have fun, take care of them. Yeah. Yep. That's the only, the only thing with that is that you end up with poop on, dripping on your walls. That's, yep. that's yeah, I've, I've, I've tried to do that in one of my uh, former, former arrangements of where I was keeping my reptiles. And that was just – I was like, okay, am I – Am I gonna be cleaning poop off the walls? Is scraping it off the wall because you know it's just gonna run, right? It's just right. Black, oh yeah. my god, black and white lines from all the gecko poop. <clears throat> yeah, it's, see, it's I'm not. Bad. This is like painted. I might be able to do. Some, well, anyways, that that's for the future. Vaseline the the sides <laughs> of the wall. <laughs> Come on into my reptile room. Yeah, right. <laughs> Vaseline all over the walls. <laughs> Yo, does uh, does Grant still have that O bar that you sent him? Dude, I have no idea. I, I'm yeah. assuming. I haven't talked to yeah. him in a minute. That that animal was cool. It was skittish as all hell, though. I had it yeah. for about a year, and uh, man, like it never calmed down, never. And like at at first, it was all right. Had nothing or had no interest in eating if it could see me for two or three months. So then I started covering the front of the enclosure and then I just toss food in and recover it yeah. and it calmed down. But then it got so bad to the point where like when I moved it to a bigger enclosure because it needed it, um, it, uh, it started burying itself in the substrate for days at a time without coming out. Yeah. Um, there was one point where it was in the dirt for like six days and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to rip it out of here and take all the bedding out and, and just keep like a very thin layer. And yeah, yeah it yeah. was, it was a nightmare of an animal to deal with for a long time. <laughs> I will say that it, it almost killed my interest in the species. Like now yeah, I've had enough time where I'm like, I'm interested in them again, but it, it made me very disinterested with that being my only, um, yeah. attempts with it. Yeah, I kind of do the same thing for my indicus types. 
Um, they only have access to really, really deep bedding when it's uh, um, when it's just for the female nesting. You know, all the right. males, uh, all the main parts of the enclosures has like a section of moist soil that's kind of thin, and then the rest is just dry. And then mm-hmm. I'll go through and I'll, I'll miss it when I need to and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't, I don't really allow them to go and have crazy, you know, like have two foot of soil all over the whole key. No, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Right. No, totally. I mean, it just, what it is, is, I mean, don't get me wrong for the new keepers listening. You know, if you, if that's what you want to do, then, then you're comfortable with that. And you've accepted the fact that what you got is going to be hiding all the time. But I've got to the point where I can, uh, simplify the cage, give them exactly what they need, you know, as a, as a necessity still, I'm not like just stricken them from no bedding at all, but, you know, I've been able to simplify, keep it, keep it where I can easily, um, you know, monitor them, keep track of them, health checks, all that stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Without having, without having to rip them up out of the soil, you know, it does suck to have to do that. It kind of gives them like a, uh, like a whole mental break and everything like that. <laughs> oh yeah, so bad. So it literally bad. Goes from like. Uh, okay to damn like everything is just you just lost my trust and you know you're ripping me out of the, my 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 hard work <laughs> uh-huh. um yeah. no i uh i i totally agree with that too and it's like care guides and stuff like and what you read in groups for like general care will only tell you so much there is still some leeway on like individual animals like you could say hey as like a general um I mean, obviously, like, temps, humidity are, are going to be across the board, but, like, the setup of the enclosure, where hides are placed, how deep of bedding, it's it's very, it can be very subjective because some animals react differently. I thought I heard a cat earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I was hey. going to ask. She Nancy's always, she knows whenever I'm recording, she's like, bro, you got to introduce me to everybody. <laughs> nice. Oh, my God. This is, she tells me when they're nesting, she tells me when they're fucking fighting. She tells me when monitor. She's like my 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 secondhand referee. Dude, I remember you telling me that. That's so funny. Um, yeah. That's you know what? Uh, mine and my girl. So my girlfriend has two cats, and thankfully she doesn't like freak out and try to go after animals or anything because I know yeah I yeah to do that. I got a I got a good cat. She's just not on top right. of cage. Oh, dude, this one cat, though, like, she would do everything possible to get on top of enclosures, so that's why I had to set up, like, a separate room for, like, shorter cages so she couldn't get on them. (laughs) But now her thing is, um, if a grasshopper ever gets out, she makes, like, the weirdest meow I've ever heard in my life and just stares at it. (laughs) Is it that weird dolphin sound? (laughs) Yeah, and, like, doesn't swat it or anything, just stares and screams at me until I grab it. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. This one's, this one's crazy, right? Like I actually had some – like sometimes I have really finicky eaters, right? Or they're just going through a really finicky period. And so I'll grab a – I'll go and buy a couple fuzzies or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, I honestly always forget that I buy mice. And so I'll have them sitting in the little cup or a bag. And one day – the they 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 tilted over the bag and you know the four or five fuzzies literally just plopped out and my cat just instead of killing them she just picks them all up and just puts them in a little corner together really oh my god it's crazy 
That's yeah. so funny. Yeah, my, my cat's something different, man. I, I, actually, <laughs> I never I never thought I'd uh, love a cat like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The the one bad. Oh, so I've had two bad experiences with my cat while owning reptiles. The first one, uh, when we still had all of our stuff in the basement, um, she got on top of it uh, of this like desk dresser thing jumped on top of an enclosure, jumped to another one and knocked the heat lamp over and started melting the side of the cage. Um, So that was great. But then the other one, uh, Kai, you probably remember, you've had to send me Americana twice now the first time. Oh, yeah. Uh, The reason they all died is because my cat decided to cling to the front of the cage. And when I walked in the room and yelled at her, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing on there? Get off. She tries to jump backwards off of it, but because her claws were stuck in it, ripped the whole cage down and pulled the front door off. And uh, <laughs> all the Americana got out and died from the cold because the room oh, they were in man. was freezing cold and I couldn't find them all. Um, and since then, grasshoppers have been off limits. So I think that's why she just screams at me when she sees them now. Oh, man. <laughs> she doesn't want to get in trouble again. Yeah. Man, <sighs> I'm actually glad that... Uh, glad that i don't have a i have a cat like that if i did right. i probably wouldn't have the cat dude people don't realize you have to cat proof your cages you yeah, really yeah. have to yeah. uh, for like especially like the general cat like i see so many posts in facebook groups about like oh you know my uh my cat fell through my bearded dragon's enclosure <laughs> and is laying inside of it with my bearded dragon and stuff i'm just like why <laughs> like, right oh my god i've had that's the one i had was basically i had secured the heat lamp uh, this was years and years ago. Um, right. I'd secured a heat lamp on top of a screen top, you know, and because mm-hmm. um, the cat would walk by and knock it over. I was tired of going through bulbs more than anything. So I secured oh, the top dude, yeah. on there. And uh, so the cat would just go lay next to the heat lamp. And in, you know, all my genius, I didn't think about how strong that screen was or was not Mm -hmm. and sure enough that's exactly what happened cat falls through i hear a big crash um you know in the cage it it was just a mess so yeah uh, oh dude and bulbs are a precious commodity nowadays oh man yeah Yeah, anymore (laughs) uh, a little good topic man i'm freaking i'm freaking out right right now because i had two bulbs go out today i'm like oh man that that's two bulbs at Here. once right dude. oh dude. that's how it always happens to me too i'll be good i'm good i'm good and then four bulbs in two days yeah yeah i'm like what the f- the hell do you guys just have like a like a set in timer on when you guys all check out my contraband folks i have a kitchen a kitchen drawer full of freaking full of bulbs yeah and, right uh, like uh, I think in the last six months, I had to I had to get Eric, my, my my friend Eric, to send me a bunch, and he can only really get like six or seven at a time because the stores didn't have any. But I've uh I recently bought the Arcadia um, Part Thirty Eights and Part Thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought one of each just to really test them out. I haven't plugged them in just yet. I'm going to wait until uh, I have. I should have plugged them in today when I when I was exchanging bulbs, but I, I'm going to wait for another one to go out. I'm going to plug in the the Par 38 to see how how well they work um, in comparison to just the normal ones that we were buying. You know, right. um, you have to let me know. I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 
it's sucky that we have to pay 20 bucks or more for that bulb. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like 17.99 or something like that, uh, which isn't which isn't too bad cuz that's what I'm paying now cuz I'm having them shipped in so I have to pay the shipping costs. Right. And then I pay the person for the footwork and driving around and doing that for me. So I can't, you know, I compensate them with some money too. So that adds to the cost, even if, even if it's just me taking care of them, you know what I mean? So I'm overall ending up paying 20 bucks per bulb, getting them shipped in anyway. So it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, I started buying the uh, way around it right now. Right. For a while there, I was buying the like I don't know what they are like eighteen or twenty pack of the Par thirty eight like seventy two watts, and I ran through a whole box of those after I got these two new cages set up, um, which have two basking spots each. So there's four down, and then I set up another cage, and that has two. So there's six down, and then basically a light in every cage burned out in one week, and so <laughs> I ran through a whole box of twenty of them and. I don't know, two months sucks. And so now I'm just every time that I'm in Home Depot or near one, I just stop and check (laughs) and I grab them while I can. I did that for a while, but California, we've been out of them for a while. So I've I've been pretty lucky still buying like pet bulbs, pet packaged bulbs. Um, So I don't think it'll go away completely as long as people are, uh, you know. So that, that is a topic that I find to be so funny because like the i don't know maybe it's like the the ignorance of it like not knowing um so i mean if you look at all the bills that are passing around it it's specifically stating that they're less energy efficient and so you know obviously if you can achieve the same light for less energy it's just better and and they're thinking that a 72 watt is way too much <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they're thinking a 72 watt is just way too much compared to you know like the 10 or whatever that the leds are uh, right, which then. is fair until you look at the fact that for reptile keepers for us to achieve the same heat that a 72 watt produces we need to buy a 150 watt zoom ed yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is literally double the wattage. So shouldn't you be going after the Zoomeds and leaving the Par thirty eights alone, like the the Phillips right. brands and stuff? Like it's it's so it, it's like they don't even realize that exists, or maybe they do, and they're like, oh, it's branded for heat, but right. these are used for heat. So what if you know Phillips is just like, hey, this isn't a light bulb anymore. Now it's a heat bulb. Which like, is not part of the conversation, I think. Is, yeah, no, as, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Like, there's got to be info missing, but I also just wonder if, like, because, I mean, you look at reptile laws passing, like, yeah, well, a- everything is just, like, I-, I don't know, like, for example, um, a-, a dumb example would just be, like, referring to venomous snakes as poisonous and-, and all that stuff. Like, it's just not having all the info even on their end, so I wonder if, like, there's anything that they're missing in the conversation that you know, I guess it's probably not really a, like a, a U.S. arc topic because it's lighting. But I wonder if what would happen if U.S. arc tried to uh, get their foot in on this topic. Like, hey, you know, we use these. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing what? energy efficient about reptile keepers at all, though. Dude, <laughs> not at to, all. Yeah, we have to one way or the other, you know, get that yeah. heat. And, but, um, but like these these people that are passing these bills would hate to see. 
what my electric bill would be running and like how I think, how much I think the, power the three I'm of using. us added together the three of us added together is easily three to four thousand dollars every month right <laughs> that's what i'm saying and it's like and if you look at it too it's like imagine what would happen to all of our electric bills if we did convert to all the 150 watt zoom ads you know yeah it'd be insane my i my breakers would be shorting out yeah. <laughs> every single day i'd be tripping breakers mm. Man, what, it, so, it's crazy you're so right that's what i'm running in the big cages is um it's actually a few of those because i have to spread them out a little bit to get the same heat and it's because i couldn't get the regular halogens anymore for the big walk-in cages so i had to use multiple uh uv basically bulbs to try to because right. i could get those and then uh, they don't produce as much heat. So now mm-hmm. I'm using multiples of those, but they also have to be so far away. Um, and they're also pro- – what what wattage are those new ones then? I'm using between 80 and 100, but multiples. Yeah. 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 And that's crazy. So you're tripling your power consumption? And potentially oversaturating the, the UV, you know, which yeah. I've tried to watch. Pretty, so I'm still mixing in some things. I'm trying out um, – I let them cool down, so now I'm, I'm heating them up. And I'm I'm mm. dealing with this right now is um, you know securing a ceramic heat emitter or something else in there just to try to boost the temps up, to, but to see if it's if it's going to work the way I need it to and not turn it into basically a slow cooking uh, like a slow cooker, you know, and just oh, dehy- dude, or yeah. a dehydration machine. Um, yeah. So so I'm messing with a lot of that stuff right now and mm-hmm. um, seeing exactly what I can do, what I can. Huh. We might, yeah, there might be some interesting things in the future for what we need to do and how we're going to um, accomplish I will say I have a good friend, and once again, surprisingly, locally, Omaha isn't a, like, it's it's a decent area. It's, it's the biggest city I've lived in, but there's a lot of great and very inventive people in my area, and I have mm-hmm. a friend that after the whole, like, hey, these bulbs are going to be banned thing came out, um, he's now working on um, like a better reptile-specific branded heat bulb uh, that will use more or use less wattage than you know the Zillas and. and that's awesome. He better, make a mil- he better make a million of those things, dude. That's what I'm saying, and and so I know I told you, Kai, that like I'd keep you posted on the progress of it. He's currently working on um, like plant grow lights and stuff too that are that are good in um, reptile cages. So. See, that's yeah, I just awesome. picked up one of those from him, and he's he's wanting me to test it out in uh, one of my tree monitor cages because they've only been used, you know, externally on like plants, glass enclosures, um, and so he wants to see like you know how will it do with high heat, high humidity, yeah, and uh, if if we can prove that it'll work after after in my, uh, it's been in my cage for a while, then he's going to start marketing those and then pivot to really focusing on the, the heat bulbs because nobody's doing it well. No right. one. It's it's such a missed opportunity. And that just might be it. I'm not sure all the laws that are coming down and how they're going to affect it, but basically bringing production here, because I know some of those facilities, right. it's like they'll do a whole run, and if they're – I mean the base is similar. You're going to have your E26, 27 type of base and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the rest of the makeup of the bulb, you might not need the same materials if you're using LED materials now. So right. um, 
you know, if someone were to bring that production here, could do it efficiently, we're still here, the reptile keepers, we still need a good working heat bulb. Um, and I believe there was protection against stuff that was labeled as specifically reptile bulbs. But yeah. that really? being said, okay. it might not, it, even if it's protection for just reptile bulbs, because those bigger overseas companies aren't going to like stop production on LED bulbs because they can only make this many of that. You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. know how it works out. That's somebody else's field. But it, it, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I feel the same way. Like I, I'm talking on it. If I sound like a fucking idiot to anybody, I apologize. <laughs> I'm not an expert on this subject. It's just from the info that I have, this is my opinion. No, no, they're all listening <laughs> to us. Those big wigs, they, they come here for right. the... Uh... <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> There's, they're closet monitor keepers over there. So, <laughs> uh, Speaking Yo, of... Man. Oh, what's no, up, guys? No, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, speaking of the, the whole heat and lighting subject, though... Um, and you were talking about the tree monitors. Do you provide them any heat at night? For me, yeah, I yeah, am. You do. Yeah. What what temper are you getting them to? Um, they're still at night. They're between seventy. I would say to about one hundred five. At night, okay. Yeah. Where do they favor? Where do they? What was that? Where do they favor in the enclosure, like heat wise? Do they have like a preferred spot at night? No, um, I would say in the evening, they're actually pretty active all over the cage. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll they'll do their shuttle runs to go bask, and then they're just checking it out. They're looking at the other monitors across the cage from them, kind of just like popping up to stare. And then mm-hmm. um, uh, they, they actually do most of their, I would say, hiding or sleeping probably um, – Three o'clock in the morning to somewhere about noon the next day. You know they're not too active. They still come out, but their their majority of their activity is from noon uh, in the day to you know early evening. They really start picking up. Um, right, that's what I've um, noticed. So at when they are sleeping, like like when the lights are off, wh- is there like a a specific range that they usually stay in temp wise, or are they just kind of all over? See. I don't pay enough attention. That's the honest <laughs> truth. Um, uh, I, I have a curse of dealing with Australian monitors, and mm-hmm. the knowledge in my head is hard to get rid of sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can put it is forget that this doesn't apply here, or I'm at the mercy of the way things have been in the warehouse. So I have to keep certain lights on just to keep the temps up. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's kind of what I've been dealing with. So in my mind, I have this, I actually have this enormous uh, enclosure sitting in part of the warehouse for the tree monitors when I can bring them home. Um, Right. And it has a lot of different uh, opportunities. It was actually a guy that lives local to me, bought a uh, uh, mangrove monitor and had a bunch of your input, Kai. And uh, he he did a bunch of cool stuff to this cage. But, you know, um, I just... I can't use it at the warehouse, but I can at the home at the house. So, um, nice. yeah, there'll be some some changes coming soon. And the funny yeah. thing was when I when I first had the blue trees, I put them in a um, um, eight by five by four enclosure. They stayed Damn, in one nice. spot. They stayed yeah. in one spot and would not leave for anything. And almost mm-hmm. to the point of getting sick, uh, not being really active. So 
Uh, I actually had to boot them out of there into a much smaller enclosure. And then their habits picked up, their tolerance of meat picked up. Um, you know, they would only eat moving dubia for the longest time. If a dubia right. stopped moving, they wouldn't even touch it. Um, they would eat grasshoppers when I'd get them from Kai. And they wouldn't touch anything else. Now they, they're not picky. They eat almost whatever nice. it's offered to yeah, them. I, in my experience with blue trees specifically, that's been the hardest thing is actually getting them to eat a varied diet. Like mm-hmm. the two females that I've had previously were both extremely picky to the point where they will only touch dubia. One of them wouldn't even eat eggs, nothing. Yeah. Um, and would like eat the occasional grasshopper. That was it. It was, it was really rough. Um, so I just got a pair of blue trees two weeks ago and, uh, they came in skinny to be expected. They're fresh imports. Um, what I didn't expect was two days after I got them for them to both start showing respiratory infections. Oh man. And, uh, like the day they got here, the female ate a mouse, the male ate a quail, um, I'm. I really don't feed rodents to the tree monitors. Only if it's like a young animal, or if it's something that's like very skinny, uh, like these are. So I'm feeding heavy on rodents, trying to pack on the fat, get them up to a good weight. Yeah. Um, and she ate a mouse. He ate a quail. Next day, she ate a quail. They both ate dubia. They both ate uh, grasshoppers. They both ate some crickets. Like everything. And then I guess it was like three or four days in he started doing that like nose popping sound mm-hmm. um, and then mouth breathing. And I'm like, Oh, that's great. I'm going to have to keep an eye on him next day. She starts. Oh man. And then a few days goes by. He's better. He's totally cleared up. He's eating again. It's now been about a week. And she got to the point where she was like mucus out of the mouth. Ugh. Nose was completely plugged up. She has completely stopped eating for the last week and she's already skinny. So, um, two of the things that my vet has told me is, uh, one of the biggest detriments that you can do to a monitor or maybe reptile in general with a respiratory infection is, uh, it's, it's not the humidity level. It's the inconsistency because wet, dry, wet, dry can cause irritation and more inflammation in the, in the sinuses and the back of the throat, um, which can further, uh, create issues or prolong them. So what I do when I get an animal with a respiratory infection is I slightly dry it out so that it's easier to maintain one humidity level so that it's not fluctuating all over. Um, but then the other thing is really trying to cook it out of them. So for the last week I've left their basking on 24 seven and they've, they just sleep basically under it all day. Um, all day and night. Yeah. And she's clearing up. She's not mouth breathing anymore. She's just very sleepy. And I'm attributing that to all the meds. I've been giving her injections of ceftazidine every three days, uh, which is a subcutaneous injection. So you just like with an animal this skinny, you just pull the fold back on the side and just right under the skin. And it's like she only weighs 140 grams. And so it's like a 0.03 mil injection. So it's like a very small amount. Right. 
Aren't they scary to give shots to, too? Their skin is so thin, and they're so skinny yeah. sometimes. I have gotten a lot more comfortable with it. I actually, like, have... N- I used to be very nervous, like, hands shaking when I'm doing it. I'm like, all right, all right, all right <laughs> calm down, calm down. But at this point, like, I give her injections by myself. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, I've developed this technique of, like, holding her with my left hand, and I put her head between my pointer finger yeah. and middle finger and then I use my ring finger and thumb to pull her skin out and then I just jab it in the side. Yeah, Dude, I, I'm so scared to do that. I, I don't even do it. I, I mean, right. I've given injections before, but Lynn does it for me and I just hold the lizard and yeah. hold the still and I'm just like, yo, you, you gotta just do it for me. She, this blue tree is so docile. The day I got her, she was already coming out to me. So, nice. like, she's very easygoing, which is the only reason I'm, I'm willing to do it by myself. But, like, I've had to give injections to bigger monitors, and I literally, like, tuck their head in my armpit. And then, like, yep. <laughs> yep. It's it's fun. I had a, those fun. big, like, for some of the, the bigger monitors, when I really got to go hands-on for something, I got those um, bigger welding or bite-through gloves, mm-hmm. you know, Um and I was trying to, but they're so bulky on my hands, and these things are scratching around sometimes. And then it occurred to me, you know, I got like 14 inches of glove sleeve on these things. Just stick, stick the monitor the half the yeah. <laughs> halfway down the glove yeah, and, and tighten the wrist <laughs> on it so it can't yeah. back out. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You you got to be uh, creative when you're doing it by yourself. Yep. You really have to. Um, but yeah, but yeah, it's. It's been an experience. I'm really hoping she picks back up. Uh, I mentioned crickets. Um, I have specifically been buying crickets for the blue trees just to have more food present at all times. Yeah. Um, This is the first time I've bought crickets in two and a half years. Yeah. It's been a long time. And and I'm just trying to have food in the cage at all times in case they decide they're hungry. That's that's what I I was doing. It was like a bowl of roaches, a bowl of super worms. Um, then I had a little like elevated spot where I was putting mice and then eventually like mm-hmm. the, the small quail and, uh, and dubia moving is the only one. So, you know, after a day, like dubia would just stop in a bowl and they no one oh, moves. Oh yeah. And they just go dormant basically. Yeah. Right. I had to take them out, put some new ones in, but every time I had to disturb them, you know, and it just seemed like a lose, lose situation. And, um, but then, yeah, putting them in a smaller, smaller cage. And when I say smaller, for some of these people, this is a four by two and a half by two foot. And I know for, for three animals, that sounds crazy. But I had them in an enormous enclosure, and they were failing. Now mm-hmm. they're eating whatever I give to them. It's easy to monitor them. They tolerate my presence. I can get a good look at them. Um, so, it's crazy how that works, huh? It is, uh. but I'm... I'm you know, I'm now to the point where I'm confident that they are doing well and um, they are no longer picky feeders and they have enough weight because I'm I'm expecting a transition period again um, or right. hopefully it doesn't happen. But in the case that it does, I want enough weight on them, enough muscle tone and mass on them where so that they can have the time to settle in. Right. And don't, yeah. you know, that, that other cage that they're in is coming to the house too. So if they start failing, they're going right back in that small cage. Um, no, I, I think that's absolutely the way to do it. People will hate on smaller enclosures. 
smaller is absolutely better like almost 100% of the time for new animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If if you have an animal that you're trying to establish and put weight onto, if you put it in a smaller cage, even one that like I said earlier that you can cover the front on, it's going to help that animal get confident a lot faster and it's going to start eating quicker. It's going to be more this stable. This isn't even just like it's not even just us like just saying it this has actually been proven by so many people i mean even just alone us but like um you know to actually see them in a a big enclosure and they really don't do well at all and then you move them to something that's half the size that's really you know not the the best long-term enclosure and you just see them do a whole turnaround it's crazy yeah 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 Yeah. and i think i definitely think that's the way to go is like start small Get them established. Get them eating, especially if they're skinny, and then go big. Yeah, yeah, like for sure. I, I'm all about bigger is better with enclosures, but there's there's a time. And, and I think right, especially and, dealing with things that you know you're, you're messing with a lot of imports potentially. Um, and this is from, you know, I, I got um, in. I think well, my first imports were the the Affenberg guy was first ones that like really i was like okay this is what i'm going after mm-hmm. and then down the road it was the uh the tree monitors and dorianus and um, some others um but i learned a lot i learned how to give medications i learned science oh yeah like you were talking about when you described it you hear that popping you see this or that the open mouth breathing it's like okay i'm at this point now and um this is and what this we got what do. i need to do yeah and even then it's like you see that you're like mm, 60 40 you know um this is they might make it they might not and um right it's it's tough and you're there's so many things that could go wrong Uh, i mean if that that stress really kicks into that animal and it's a fight you're you're fighting a lot of things to bring that animal back out of that and i don't know if a lot of people understand that and it feels horrible when you know it's like okay it's now you so especially for new keepers i would say if these are things you want, save up, get captive bred. Hit up Cody. Hit up some of the other breeders that are out there that have good reputations that can get you a good solid animal and and take you through the process and have that set up um, ready to go. If you're looking for, you know, well, I don't want to spend three grand. I want to spend twelve hundred dollars. Look, I I got the magic touch from experience and a lot of experience with other monitors. It's a it's a crap feeling. That's all on you, and you can spend months. I mean, I I carried one green tree for six or seven months, and we were always mm-hmm. right on that line. And some days it was good, some days it was bad, until the thing finally passed. That battle got lost, you know. And mm-hmm. no, in- absolutely, yeah. Other individuals they pulled through, but you got to be ready and have you got to have medication almost on on hand. This isn't. Oh like- yeah, and I do. I have a nine-month supply of ceftazidine in my freezer. I have Benabac, uh supplements. I have a um, bunch of different supplements. I have a critical care carnivore diet. I have Absolutely. a you know gallon bag of syringes and needles. <laughs> um, yep. And then I even have um, tubes for like force feeding basically so i have feeding tubes that i have a bunch of them so like when i need to like with this blue tree i've done it to her twice already because she's not eating and she's already so skinny that you could see way too much of her hips tailbones like vertebrae and everything so to reduce her decline um i mix up 
the critical care carnivore diet and mix that with some water. I sprinkle some Benabac into it, and then I grab a syringe and grab this feeding tube. I cut it to, I don't know, like four inches, and I put it like most of the way down her throat yeah. so that I'm not forcing it into her lungs because that's bad, obviously. Yep. <laughs> and And people don't realize, like, you can't just shove a syringe in an animal's mouth and pump the stuff in. It could go yeah. down into their lungs. You'll see it or, come out know, their nose. I, yeah, I, their nose. Yep. And, and uh, I mean, none of that's good. But then also the fact that they're just going to spit half of it back up. If yeah. you, you know, with vet guidance, um, learn how to put in a feeding tube and then just carefully inject some in, pull the tube out, animal doesn't even realize anything happened. Right. And and it's the the difference from feeding tube and non-feeding tube is a much calmer animal. They're not freaking out, spitting stuff up, like you said, stuff coming out their nose. Like, it's it's just way safer. Yep. And so I have those on hand. I've had to do that for three different tree monitors, two or three. And, uh, yeah, it sucks. But you got to know how. Yeah. If, you're, if you're wanting wild caught, you have to know how to do that. Or yeah. at least... If, if you don't intend to know how to do it, you have to have a vet that you can call at a moment's notice that can tell you how or can do it for you. And if you don't, you should probably just buy a captive bread. Yeah. And, you know, not only do you need a vet in most of them, you have to make an appointment, schedule it out, at least in my mm-hmm. area. Um, you got to have the money to pay for that vet. And different vets yeah. are going to do things different ways. Um you know, fortunately, there's a place now. They know nothing about reptiles, and they have said, "You tell us what you need, and we'll help you get it." And um, that's been a great help doing it that way. But I wish still that I had a very competent, you know, vet um, mm-hmm. near me. And and not to say there there isn't um, there is, and because there is such a competent vet. A lot of times she is booked three months out. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and and I'll, I'll stress it again. I am very privileged to have access to the vet that I have access to. Like I said, his name is Matt Merkwan. If anybody listening is in the Omaha area and needs any type of vet assistance, look him up on Facebook. It, it, I think it's under Dr. Merkwan or Dr. Matt Merkwan. Yeah. Um, he is the only vet that I've gone to for the last four years he vends all of the main omaha expos and when he vends he just stands there and says here's my card call me if you need something here's flyers and care sheets on animals that's it he doesn't make money at the expos but he vends any any way to get his name out there that's awesome Um, and and yet he's he's he doesn't just say hey give this medicine he says this is what this medicine is this is what it's made for. This is why we're using it. This is what it targets. This is the pros and cons. He informs me start to finish. So I can tell you, you know, um, like one thing he, he taught me recently is uh, like giving panic here. Mm-hmm. Um, he has seen now multiple, multiple cases of somebody giving panic here. And then one to two months later, the animal dying. And there's been studies done. And I don't remember the name of what it is, but it's somehow causing um, like a bone marrow deficiency, which causes anemia. And so if you're giving panicure to an animal, you will most of the time notice like some lethargy about four to six weeks later. Right. 
Yeah. And sometimes in that period, they will die. Uh, so panic here should be like a get a fetal done. Okay, there's parasites, then give it. Not just routine pumping panic here through every animal because if it has a bad reaction to it, it could die. And I had no idea about that. And so being gifted this information of like, you can do it, but here's the possibility. Like, it's made me a lot more informed, and and that's how I want to be in it. That's awesome to know, actually, because I was doing Panicure for everything coming in, and then um, I did notice a, a drop around that time. About a month later, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, so I, I, that's something I remember, you know, um, so... Whether or not that was from that, I can't and, and tell And then you it for connects sure, the but, dots for you, right? Yeah, it's like, okay, well, that makes sense. And then uh, I didn't have that. Now, we're talking about different species where with the, the tree monitors and Dorianus that came in, um, they all got panicure. Um, mm-hmm. And the tree monitors, it was, you know, I think about 70-30 success rate. Um, the two Dorianus that came in, they, like, at a month – they both had great weight on them still and just done. Um, Damn. Yeah. And I, I would wonder if it was related to that. I mean, there's obviously no knowing. And he did stress, hey, this isn't all the time. It's kind of rare for them to actually die. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, if it's a fresh import that uh, sat in poor conditions for weeks before importing and it's already, like, not in great health, it, it could be the thing to, like, the tipping point. Hmm, that's uh, interesting. But, yeah, and then yeah. none of none of the well, like I said, different species. None of the smaller the Timorensis type, Offenberg type, um, they didn't get panicker. It was either right. you know you're going to start feeding and, and make it or not. And all of them except for one that looked pretty rough coming in. Like it was uh-huh. like, oh, this one doesn't look too good. Um, all of those did just fine. I never noticed really a, a drop yeah. off in feeding. If anything, they just from the get go. But they were all smaller right. too. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It, this was actually like this conversation about panic here actually happened like a week and a half ago when he was here looking at the blue trees for me. Is yeah. when he told me that. And like I've heard people say before, don't just pump panic here into animals. Uh, even if you have like proper weight measurements to to get like the proper dose, but I always had the feeling it was likely harsh on the kidneys or harsh on the mm-hmm. liver or something. I didn't realize it would be bone marrow. Like that's such yeah, I, like an obscure thing. And so yeah, I don't know. I just like I said, I I really like having access to him. Um, he I believe he's like fully remote now. Like he can do X rays at people's houses and everything now. Oh wow, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So he's Shoot. he's great. I wonder how much is a uh, does he fly spirit? Does he? <laughs> oh, dude, right. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, him and I have been throwing around the idea of like obviously I can't confirm this is going to happen, but him and I have been throwing around the idea of um, like when I know I'm going to start trying to cycle like the green tree monitor for example because she's super predictable. Um, yeah. Having him come here you know, once or twice a week minimum and doing ultrasounds on her and tracking follicle development, the rate they grow, when they peak, um, and everything, and then, like, um, ovulation and all of it. And so we've thought about, like, actually tracking start to finish multiple times a week and then even possibly going as far as, like, doing a paper on it, just, like, the actual reproductive cycle. Yeah, that would be great information. That would be really cool. 
Absolutely. But now, and uh, and speaking of too, he's been teaching me how to use um, ultrasounds in general too. And uh, oh, nice. he let me in on the one that he's using, and and it's it's crazy like how good of timing this is right now. Um, I don't know if you've actually looked into ultrasounds or anything, but you know, a couple years ago they were ten thousand plus easy. Um, yeah. The one he has is easily in that price range. The same one he uses is like three grand now, hmm. and uh, they're just the butterfly one. Yes, I believe yeah. that's the one. Uh, they're just plummeting in price because yeah. more companies are making them and they're becoming more readily available, and it's just dropping yeah. the price. And so and it's a lot sure, better of a time to get into. I'm pretty sure that was like the high, you know, introductory price to the whole market, right? And then now that it's uh, been around for a while, maybe maybe not everybody is willing to. Uh, when I first looked into it, they, they they wanted you to have a subscription or something like that, right? And yeah, yeah, I saw that too. A one or two year plan, and I was like, oh man, I don't want to do that. So then I ended up going with the third route, and I got the, just uh, the other one that um, a lot of farmers and stuff like that use, right? And um, it costs like about two two thousand dollars for the equipment and the actual the actual um, mm-hmm. unit itself. But um, yeah, man, I just there's not enough with the mangroves and how fidgety and crazy they are when you grab them. And yeah, you have to have an extra set of hands to do it. If you're dude, gonna I, do it. it's I, I, you have to have so you know for for one thing, you got to have a person that's holding the monitor and then the actual lizard, right? And then you have the person holding the unit and then somebody using the scanner yeah. it's yeah, so it's a mess man it's actually you know like, what the one he's using isn't the butterfly one i'm remembering that now because he said it's not the one with the subscription um no. but what i like about his is it's completely handheld it's just one small device and it connects to his phone through bluetooth oh and yeah yeah that's and nice it, that's it even has like i think it has like a cellular connection too uh he said he can transmit the signal on it anywhere in the world that's oh, crazy wow. so then he just has phone device plants it on the animal while i'm holding it done and then he can like take screenshots send me pictures from it and everything man it's, that's it's really nice that's, that's awesome. so good. i gotta i gotta get i gotta crack mine open it's literally just sitting sitting underneath a table right now and mm-hmm. I always uh i don't have a i do have reasons to use it it's just i know it's gonna be tricky because i don't have an extra set of hands to actually right oh yeah it. yeah yeah and i uh I don't know. It's just like, especially with trying to do like more documentation st- type stuff that I'm getting into and like actually tracking follicle development and shit. It's like, it's, it would be a lot easier to do everything that I want to do if I had an ultrasound of my own. So that's, that's like next step for me. All this yeah, note taking, I don't know if I can hang out with you guys anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those guys. I mean, uh, you know, when people are like, hey, you should start a journal. I can't tell you how many three by fives, how many journals, how many everything I've tried to start. It's just like, I'm just not good at this. <laughs> Dude, I fail every one of them. It's only when I started actually putting notes on my computer that I kept up with it. It's I can only do it if the thing is sitting in front of me on the cage and I'm just doodling on, on it. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I have I've, to run to my computer and open so a notepad journals. on my computer. I've started I mean, so many journals, so many sketch pads. I've 
gone and bought stuff from whatever staples and like, all right, this is what I'm going to have all my notes in. And I, I think one year I was really good at it. But after that, <laughs> you know what would work? I, I'm sure there's something out there, an app for me with my like an ear pod walking around that I could dictate mm-hmm. to and it would just timestamp, you know, and maybe probably. Have like, yeah. So, yeah. you know what I do when I'm feeling lazy and don't want to take notes? Take a picture. Oh, I take a lot of pictures. Take a picture, mark it, and create a second folder and call the folder breeding or whatever. Yeah. And then all you got to do is, oh, what date did this happen? Pull up the picture, pull up details. It'll tell you the date. That's actually how I take most of my notes. If if that's it, then that's exactly what I do. Yeah, And and that's like the very simplified version of it. And that's how I've been doing it for, you know, two or three years now. Yeah, and then yeah. just recently, because I want to detail more, I've been actually writing stuff down. Yeah, but, that's why, I, um, that's why I post everything like that. I have. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay. I, I remember going, posting it here. Obviously if it's, cause I post a lot. So obviously if it's like years ago, then it, it's a, it's a very hit or miss to actually find it. But yeah, taking pictures is a great thing. Last year, <laughs> last year I had a clutch. I didn't know what they were. <laughs> I I had taken a picture of every other clutch that I had dug up when I dug it up, and I don't know what was going on with me, but I didn't take a picture of this clutch, and so I didn't know when they were laid. I didn't know Dude, when they were going to hatch. Yes, <laughs> I was. I was literally just going to say that. So I've actually gotten. It's so funny. I actually got questioned by a couple people like, how come you only post in the tree monitor group when you have eggs now? And I was like, I only post when I have eggs so that I can look at that post uh-huh. and remember what day she laid them. <laughs> so then I could just go, okay, what is 157 days from this date? All right, they're going to hatch this day. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's my primary reason for posting in most of the groups anymore is just like, it's a yeah. catalog to remember when eggs were laid so I know when to look for hatching. Yeah. It was because I always forget to write them on a sticky note. <laughs> yep, yep, that's exactly what happened. So I, yeah, I take pictures of eggs almost all the time. That was the only time I didn't. And sure enough, mm-hmm. after clearing out, you know, some of the, the especially the way that the uh, the Ackies and Kims were going, it was just like it stacks in there. It was cool, but at the same time, now I've got this box. I'm looking at it like I don't know what these are. I don't know when they're gonna hatch. So you just let it ride, you know. <laughs> Right, oh my faces. God. they were Ackies, but uh, um, but uh, to the to the new keepers, I will say, or like new like people trying to breed, I have always been, and hopefully will always be cool with helping people. But absolutely, the most frustrating thing that happens is when somebody says, "Hey, I think my animals are breeding." Or I think I'm going to get eggs soon, and I say, okay, can you send me dates of when you saw breeding? No. I'm like, how am I supposed to help you then? Yeah. yeah. If, if you're not recording anything, I can't help you. Yeah. Help me help you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the, the easiest thing to do is just, hey, you saw breeding? Snap a picture. Yep. You saw her hanging funny? Snap a picture. Yeah. So that way, if you're you're messaging somebody asking for help, you could send them the photos and tell them the dates, and that'll that'll help dial stuff in. Yep. A lot of my cages has literally just a torn piece of paper, literally the construction paper that I use to stuff in my 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 grasshopper or when I ship, right? Basically, it's just a torn piece of paper with a piece of scotch tape taped to the glass or taped to the side of the cage, and I try to jot down notes. You know, 
I'm about to send you some note card sleeves. <laughs> I have a bunch of those. They have double-sided tape. Slap them on the top of the cage, stick a card in the top, pull it out when you want to write on it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's tough, man. Uh, I think everybody is uh, – not that – it's not everybody, but you know, a lot of people are jumping on to like you know, the, the fascination of keeping monitors, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's a, it's a, it wasn't a thing before, but now it's could be money, it could be fascination, it could be they're tired of snakes or whatever they were doing before. But yeah, man, the flux of monitor keepers nowadays is just it's crazy high, you know. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, the monitors are cool; they're great. That's why we that's why we work with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but man, we get. I think all of us get people all the time like, hey, you know, can you uh, show me what to do and tell me everything that you have, all the details that you have. And it's just really hard to do in one conversation. I, for People one. would lose their minds if they saw the messages that I got that are like that. It's crazy. It's, and, it, you know, and, and I get I weekly. try to not be short. Yeah, dude, yeah. easily multiple times a week. And like I do my best to not be short with people like that. Right. Um, but it, it gets so daunting getting so many messages like that. But like most recently, and I'm not going to say who, obviously, but most recently I got one that was like, hey, can you send me a detailed start to finish process of how you got your animals breeding, what you saw, what you expect, blah, blah, blah. I just bought these animals. I want to breed them. Yeah. It's, I'm like, it's... you got to I mean. A, absolutely, I'd love to help, but you got to put some time in. You got to learn the animals first, but yeah. then I'm trying to with, do the same thing myself, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. But then, but then, message with I, my female is refusing to lay eggs, <sighs> and I can't figure out why. And I was like, "Oh, you have a gravid female? Yeah, that changes everything. Let me send you a bunch of information. Try to help you figure out like why it's not laying." And he goes, "Oh no, I never saw breeding or anything. Yeah. I just don't think she likes her nest box." And I'm like, "You know, oh. I, and I, I think like, sure, they listen to the podcast. They could come back to it, you know, or they they you could come back to field notes or things like that that are on the internet. Some stuff is quite conflicting, and it is because there are so many different ways and styles of keeping." that may not pertain to you, you know? Right. So, um, just, just for real, just real clear examples, just you'll have to get into your actual animals, get to the actual steps, and then maybe I can help you easier. But if I just start naming and listing a bunch of things that you should do, it's I mean, just going to go right over your head. Yeah. It's just going to go right through, right, right, right in one ear and out the other. And some people are really great at retaining information, but oh, not yeah. everybody not everybody is. And and so, you know, she could come back again. Like you could come back to podcasts like this and try to try to you know listen to it over and over again. But unless you're at those steps and stages that you've technically gone through with your animals, you know, and I, I don't want to say that they're disposable or stuff like that, but you kind of have to really learn. And for the sake of your learning, some things may not always go, you know, the right way or you might lose an animal or, you know, you might have to deal with vet stuff. And, you know, picture us three. We have uh, a refrigerator or freezer stockpiled with medicines and things like that that we've mm-hmm. now had to basically become a, a little part time vet whenever, you know, things go mm-hmm. the wrong way. And so, you know, there the, all these things you'll develop as time 
time goes. You know, it's yeah. you're not just gonna just pick it all up with one conversation with a breeder. You know, some conversations I've had to have with people or a really long conversation of just getting to know, you know, how they teach, how I'm learning. You know, some mm. things some people you don't blend well with, you know, right. things like that. So, dude, and then what you you have to apply information in your own way too, like yeah, like look yeah. back on like when I first started and I was like picking your brain, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't, hey, tell me how to do this. I would just ask how you did it and then see if I can apply it in my own way. Right, right, and, and, that, like, and that's, that's where feet. that's where yeah. I would I would really hope the people that are listening to this now, thinking quick on your feet, thinking for yourself. And when I made this post a couple of weeks ago about you know basically people coming to us and demanding us give them a whole you know list of what to do's and things like that i just really tell them man like i'm not going to do all that for you these are things that you're going to have to do on your own like people were asking me hey what size water bowl should i use i'm like oh my god you know those are those are easily things that you can figure out on your own you know just test it And, and yeah you'll have to really test it even the stuff that i say and to some people, it may be golden, right? And it may be the rule or it may be what, you know, a lot of people are are, are, are listening to. But damn, test it. Don't just take my word for it. You know what I mean? Like, right. Try it. Try a small one. Try, try a big one. Out. Try a medium one. Try it out. I mean, just the – in any of the information. Yeah. Test it out. Make sure that it works it out for you and it's, it's a thing where, you know, you're essentially not just – falling for the okie doke or just say, all right, Kai says it's this way. So it's gotta be, no, it's not always that way, you know? And, and so, um, you, I want you to be able to think quick on your feet at the same time, be able to brainstorm and, and do all that stuff, draw out plans and essentially execute what is working. And if it's not, you're going to have to try something else. You right. know, uh, that's what I was doing for quite a few years prior to actually really breeding, because I was, you know, going through the heat them and feed them type of deal, where I basically just kept them hot all year round and and uh, every day feeding them things like that. And then I learned, all right, there's, you know, how do I don't actually have to do it this way? And these other things where I'm feeding less often, and then allowing cage temps to drop during part of the year, and then feeding them strategically for parts of the year, you know, that's a lot healthier for my animals made them live longer and produce more it gives gives me better results in in turn you know yeah Yeah, no and i I think go ahead oh i was gonna say i think what basically what you're saying too is it comes down to like you can give people information all day but until they not only apply it but experiment with it and notice yeah. the differences it makes like nothing's going to happen and like yeah. it it's one thing to be a person keeping these animals it is another to be trying to breed them if you are not into experimenting you will not get anywhere with breeding if you're you scared to, to fail yeah. you know you just you, it's it's just it's just one of those things, man. It's it's kind yeah. of part of the process, right. and and I, I and obviously I don't want you to fail, and we make these podcasts so that way some of your your trials are are a little cushioned. You know, you do have you do have all people that are there before you and things like that that are 
you know, already kind of played the game, but even then, you know, I wouldn't be able to just make things just so simple for you that you get success in the next four months. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I, I help a lot of people and I try to do as much as I can in the game with, um, with being, you know, where, where people have positioned me, you know, or I'm now helping other people out and I can help you as best as I could. But dang, if you're not willing to go through the hardships yourself and, and essentially test everything out and you're, you're pretty much just coming to me for quick advice on, Hey, what's your opinion on this? It's not me telling you, Hey, what to do. You know, I can, I can give you an example of what I did and show you my results and see, and you can see that for yourself, but it's not just going to be so, you know, quick to success for you. You know what I mean? It's, right. it, it takes some time. And, I think and, that's, and my that, thing too is, I was going to oh, say, I, no, I don't, you go ahead this time. You go. <laughs> um, well, obviously this is important to, to all of us. We're getting the same thing, but in, in the podcast, the reason we did this, we wanted to get information out to people. But if, if you listen back to a lot of the episodes that we've already done, um, we may have started, we may cover like, let's just say something like uh, keeping Ackies. We might cover like a setup for 20 minutes. But a lot of what we talk about is the concepts behind why we do a certain thing, how different keepers all over the U.S. Are, approach that same problem, or they don't even have that problem because of where they're at. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's that type of thing. Now, now take the knowledge, apply it to your situation and for yourself. And it's not that we don't want to help you. In some situations, we can't help you. No. We can't give you that a care sheet. We can tell you how to think. We can tell you our experiences with having to think on our feet. And that's where it's at. So when, when if you're a listener out there and you ask a question, for the most part, we do our best to try to get that information out there, too. And I've missed people. I've, I haven't seen people for, like, weeks until another person will message me. I'm like, oh, there's a couple messages in here from different people. Um, life happens. That 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 is true. You know, we got other things going on. But at the same time... Um, you know, a lot of it is going to be like, okay, but you got to think on your feet. I can't give you a recipe to do this or do that. Um, whether you innovativeness, know, yeah, it's whether it's it, you're going to use cocoa block, uh, substrate mix, dirt from outside. Um, I can't tell you what's going to work for you, and you're asking me maybe like because um, I get a substrate one a lot. What kind of substrate is good? Um, it depends on the situation, and it depends on. The amount of water content you're going to add to that. Anything dry mm-hmm. is going to be anything dry, and it's going to potentially kill your animal. You know, um, so it doesn't matter if it's sand or, or coconut or anything in between. Uh, you have to match it to your animal and how you use it, and that means right. refilling Absolutely. or resoaking the water at certain intervals for that species. And you have to watch your own animal so you're not seeing respiratory issues, or they're not caked in in wet dirt coming out of it, or um, right. You know, because an animal's not going to lay in, in soaking wet dirt. And if you have an issue where that's the only way you're getting hum- your humidity up, there's another issue in your cage, in your setup. Um, right, so- absolutely. Yeah, like if you have to resort to soaking your animal instead of just providing the proper humidity, that's an issue. Yes, that's another yeah. one that comes up. How often do you soak? And I, I told a guy recently, or I'm assuming, um, I said almost what? never. Yeah, I, I really <laughs> yeah, don't. never for picture day. You know. <laughs> Right, um, literally. Um, you shouldn't so, have to. You should just be able to provide the proper humidity, and then it'll take care of itself. Yes. You know? 
So, and, and those are the like, like for example, right? We can just say, "Hey, like, don't, don't, don't soak them." It's because we don't. That's not exactly what we're saying. We're we're saying more so of you'll have to test your humidity, test your soil, the balance that it has in your enclosure, and then just like the coating on a on a dog's skin, right? If it's shiny, you know the dog is kind of healthy, right? If it's really flaky, stuff like that, they've they've got some issues. It's a, a or similar to us too. It's like, hey, if your your skin's really dry and things like that, you might need them. It's probably because the conditions that you're living in are also very very dry, and so your skin, you know, flakes things like that. Same thing for these monitor lizards, right? The skin, the tail, the toes, the stuck shed. If you have issues with that stuff, then that'll be an indicator for you to up your humidity or mm-hmm. something like that, right? And so we just don't want to tell you, hey, we never soak and you're just going to go with your cage conditions. It's Yes, but at the same time, we want you to then look at your animal. And, um, you know, Dave Damon was telling me this the other day. It's like people don't don't listen to their animals or, or read their oh, animals. Oh, dude, yeah. You know, yeah. it's, you're, you gotta really okay. If if even if I told you something and the animal was doing the exact opposite, you know, it's it's don't just take my word for it. What is your animal showing you? You know, and so in this case with the humidity thing, if it's showing stuck shed on the toes and it's basically shedding, but in patches which they they typically shed in patches but it, you'll see stuck stuff on the tail the tip of the tail the you know the around the toes and they and then they start to constrict that's when you know you obviously have these shed these right. shedding and humidity issues then you can fix from there but for example when people say oh the monitors are always in shed and things like that which is true they are often in shed they shouldn't have a bunch of stuck shed though Mm-hmm. It really should just fluff off, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and so and then be ready for the next one. And I I have four four foot monitor lizards, and when they shed, they're they're just basically shedding all of it at, in in a, in a decent a amount of time. Two, Not yeah. all at once like a snake, but yeah. it's all fluffing off, you know, and. There is no remnants of stuck stuff on the tail. Then if if I do see that they are, because let's say I didn't miss a lot this month or something like that, or it's been a couple months since I've added water to the whole enclosure and things like that, then I'll then it'll tell me, hey, this is what I have to do. This is what I'm looking to fix. And you know, even the most seasoned like seasoned keeper, man, we run into our issues ourselves. I have I have 12 different mangrove monitors and I currently have one with this stupid skin issue. And I don't know what, what she's doing. If she's just staying in, in wet soil or if she, you know, the, and the male that she's with is perfectly fine. And so it's like, what what am I doing? Like, and so you got, we have, we run into issues all the time too. And so we're trying to then figure out, okay, what am I doing? Do I need to apply antifungal medicine? Do I need to, you know, rinse it with uh, betadine and, and basically dry out the thing and clean it out? You know, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where regardless of what we tell you, you want to read your animal, read your surroundings with the enclosure and then how, mm-hmm. how then in turn time will tell you, Okay, I'm. I fixed the issue. 
mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, tree monitors specifically are a funny topic with that too because it's like um, tree monitors get a lot of like, hey, this is a super fragile animal. If you look at it, it's going to die. It's a hands-off animal, all this. Um, other than humidity, they are extremely easy in my opinion. And humidity is ex- is very important with them because like he was talking about with tails and tail sheds, when you get a tree monitor too dry, if you don't correct it in a quick enough period of time, the end of its tail is going to crust up and tighten. And next thing you know, they're going to go from like this tiny little dry nub on the end of their tail to three inches of their tail is necrotic. And yeah. next thing you know, you're taking it to a vet to have part of it amputated uh, because of a humidity issue, which is super easy to correct. Put on a misting system. You'll never have the issue. There's, and, and that's the only hurdle I think there is with keeping tree monitors. It's just good humidity. Um, but so, like, for example, now, both of the yellow tree monitors that I have are missing three to five inches of their tail. Um, the male black tree that I have is missing six inches of his tail. And then, uh, my male green is missing like a half an inch. The only animal that lost their tail in my care or any of their tail in my care was my male green. And I didn't realize the enclosure that he was in was drying out to that point. And next thing I know, I see the end of his tail start to crust up and there's just this little tight little knob on the end of it. And... I instantly ramped the humidity in his enclosure and it fixed it enough to where it didn't spread. But that tiny little bit on the tip of his tail just popped off. But the rest of my animals, um, the yellow trees came to me missing a like all of their tail. Like it's already all healed and everything. Yeah. Um, But they still have full use of it. It's well healed. Uh, But then the black tree, he came to me when the process was starting. So this was my first time experiencing it and i get him and he he has like this much like an inch on the end of his tail crusted up and i'm like oh that's weird i wonder what that is never seen that before i'm gonna keep an eye on it three days later it's literally six inches and we had to lob off the necrotic part oh man and that is the hardest part about keeping tree monitors which is an easy fix you just fix their humidity um but back on what kai was saying like like figuring stuff out on your own it's like i mean i look back and i think about when i was starting with this and asking him for help i didn't just say hey kai how do i do this i say hey how did you go about this and then i went to matt Cosman. hey how did you go about this and a couple other people and i gather all of their info and i basically go the median route i put all of it together so like an example would be one person says they incubated 86, another says 82, another says 84. I'm going to go 84. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's collecting info and then deciding what you think is going to work for you. But the way my brain works is I can't just do things. I have to know why. Right. Which, um, yeah. you know, would, would make sense. Um, but so, like, when Kai tells me something that worked for him, I'm going to try to implement it in a way that I can measure how well it worked and why. And I'm going to try to figure out what worked about it. Um, so like cooling animals and everything. Um, I try to like keep, if I was really being anal about it, I would like track weight 
and feedings and all this. Like, there's so many ways to to calculate everything. It's just you have to put in the work. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just so much of this is being innovative for one, and then experimenting, um, taking other inputs, and then when you think you have an answer, you have to check your own work. You have to be non-biased and decide yeah. why do why do I think this works and what are the cons of this. Yep, I can give a good example. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, obviously everybody knows I I set up uh, cork tubes as my nest spot for my tree monitors, which all of the tree monitors laid their eggs in a cork tube, all four species. So now I know it's not just the greens that like it. They all use it. Uh Um, That does bring me to a topic of if you can use both, use a tub, use the round. We talked about this last time. I don't know how I remember variety. Give the animal options. Let them pick what they want to use. Don't just say, here's a tub, use it, or here's a cork tube, use this. Yeah. Give them as many options as you can. Uh, like, for a laying animal, give her everything that you can. And just because uh, she uses one, one year, or one season, does not yeah, mean she's going to want to use it the next. Right. And that's yes, absolutely. Um, so again, if, you know, if you're, you're really sure, you might not be able to think everything on your own, or you're scared to do stuff, Try to take in what everybody says. Uh, yeah. Test a little bit of it, everything. And, you know, like I was telling another keeper, it's like, man, you can't really just go by one thing. In my enclosure, I have a nest bin. I have in-floor, in, like the whole section of an enclosure has in-floor nesting, you know, and um, things like that. So it's, it's where you – even if I have used nest bins – for the very first couple years and it worked well, I didn't just stick with that. I then, mm-hmm. you know, graduated to something where I thought, okay, this, the females like this better though. You know, it's, mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, I went from a tub of just soil and then an actual nest bin that was heated. And then now a cage section of the floor is all heated, you know, so it's different. Are we running on time? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So, <laughs> We might have Sorry to pick to this up again. Off, we're running out of time for oh, the next damn. time. I got to record. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, maybe <laughs> let's let's talk after this, and maybe we can get into round two. Because Cody, one of the things I wanted to ask you is how that was still working. I'm glad you brought it up. So, you know, we did a lot of talking about different things, but um, you know, we can get a little more into maybe maybe the recipe a bit. So uh, maybe we yeah. should. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to mention the pros and cons that I've found of my 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 tube nesting absolutely uh, i want to hear that stuff too so i know the listeners out there do too so yeah let's talk after this uh reason is guys there's another another well i won't even get into that but um we have a family that also needs to record as well yes (laughs) so uh cody where can people find you um you can find me on facebook just search my name cody cop c-o-d-e-y-k-o-p-p you can look me up on instagram um my instagram is at and it's r-y-z-r-r um i just started uh, a youtube channel for reptile stuff i actually started a small 
like a very casual podcast that I'm going to do with some of my friends just to bring people on and, and BS. Hopefully I'll be able to, um, you know, eventually bring on like field researchers for some different topics. But that is uh, Versatile Reptiles on YouTube. And then nice. hopefully before long I'll have a website under that. I have the domain. It's just not being not done yet. But I'll have like 3D printed stuff and cork bark and all that listed on there. Very cool. Guy, what about you, bud? Uh, I'm most uh, active on Facebook, but you can also find me on Instagram under uh, big underscore lizard 103. Um, yeah, those are my I, – I, there's uh, many places to find me, but those are my most uh, frequented places. Yeah. Um, and then you can just find me on Facebook under Kai Fan. I, I'm much more responsive. I only tend to Instagram maybe a couple times a day. What about you, man? Uh, Facebook – Origins Reptile, and uh, on Instagram, it's at Origins underscore Reptile. Um, I'm kind of go back and forth on both. So if I post to one, it usually posts to the other, and then, I, you know, it's all intertwined now. Um, so, and honestly, uh, hit me up if you have questions. Um, you know, Kyle, I, you're going to have to take a better picture. picture. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then uh, we're brought to you by the Morelia Python Radio uh, Network. So check them out. You can you can do a, a search on them. Go to their website. Check out all the podcasts they have available to you. There's some guys on there. Uh, they're going to cross over, talk about uh, all kinds of different species on some of these. Talk about monitors yeah. on a few of the uh, the episodes. Um, but any any. Basically, anything you can think of is pretty much covered now in some podcast or another. And there's some really great minds on there. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm honored to be a, a part of the family. And I look up to some of these guys with, a, a, you know, uh, other letters in front of their names. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> why are you guys even listening to me? But um, uh, hopefully, you know, your listeners are getting something out of this and we're sharing our experiences. And like I said, hit us up. And if you're those guys that think you're outside of the box and have found out... Um, unique uh, solutions to your problems, share with us. That's what this is here for. That's what we all get to learn from. Um, you know, maybe we can have you on and talking about it. So, all right, Cody, Kai, thank you guys. I better hurry up and get off of this. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you back here soon. All right. Have a good one, you guys.